Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars during the pandemic, and I'm coming up on almost a year being off the road. Uh, I did my last Surefoot workshop the weekend of, uh, I think it was the 11th and 12th of March. So it's just been kind of amazing to be home for that length of time. Um, we are looking at starting workshops up again, and we're just starting now to look at the calendar and figure out um, what makes sense and where we can go. So if you are interested in hosting a Surefoot workshop for practitioners, um, do go to the website. There's a form there that says applicant form and just fill out the information as an applicant. And then at the bottom, it asks you if you wanna be a host. Um, so that'd be great. So we're just now, we're pretty much getting caught up on the information of uh, you know, how to become a, a Surefoot practitioner and all that. We're working on our online learning. Um, there's still a lot to go, but we're getting there and I'm feeling really great about the progress that we've made. So I've been a big push. Um, today, what I'd like to talk about a little bit more is working with anxious and nervous horses. One of the things I've been doing is going through a bunch of footage on a couple of horses that we worked with last, uh, actually it was the summer of 2019. Um, we went up to Robin Hood's place. I signed a course farm up in Canada we had a couple of horses that we worked with over a period of time. I'm signing into, oh, oh, March 12th. Oh yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> I'm glad you made it, Diane. Um, we've been putting up a whole bunch of uh, the webinars in advance. We're trying to get caught up, um, not only with them being listed and everything, because March is going to be this transition month where uh, I'm really hoping that we can go from hibernation, which we feel like we've been doing for the past year, and starting to move out. So we're trying to get a little bit ahead on the webinars uh, listed on the website. Um, we've got, uh, I think, all of our guests lined up for March. Um, we'll be putting up more in the, in the shop soon. Um, and we really want to keep the webinars going even when I start to travel again. So that's just a little bit of logistics we're going to work out shouldn't be too hard because most places where I go, I can get a good internet connection and um, we can keep these rolling. So that said, um, I have some video um, and we've talked about working with anxious and nervous horses. And um, this one in particular that I wanted to show you is a Mustang. His name is Shiner. Um, Robin Hood and I have uh, talked about him in other webinars uh, briefly. But, um, you know, one of the things that I really like to do with Surefoot is to work with a horse under saddle. And I, and I understand that that requires having an assistant, because if you're going to be on the horse, you need someone who can be on the ground to put the pads underneath the horse's feet. Um, but it is such an important experience for a horse and rider. I can't tell you how important that is, having been on a horse that is standing on Surefoot pads. And, and the reason for that is that when you feel the changes that your horse goes through standing on a pad, even for a few seconds, it, it's like nothing else. Um, the subtlety that you feel that you wouldn't necessarily see. And then the experience of walking off the pads and feeling the change in the horse is, is so powerful. And most important, it starts to help you recognize that when your horse is having a problem in his training, it's not something that he's, you know, and I know most of the crowd that watches my webinars know this, it's not trying to do this to you. It's just something that's happening. 
And the more we can be objective about that, then the more objective we can be in how we approach the problem. So if a horse is uh, in this particular horse's case, and I will pull up some of the before video um, so you can see, but I'll, I won't start with that. Um, he was a Mustang um, that Mandy brought home from, I think it was Wyoming. Um, and he, you know, he was a good guy and it, it, nothing terribly difficult with him um, other than he was kind of sullen and you couldn't pick up two feet very easily. And he would um, hippie hop in the trot, especially in warming up and try to canter. Um, and so the idea of working with him was, you know, it wasn't like, you know, he was kind of like one of a herd. And so um, when you have a lot of other horses to work with, sometimes some of them get shuffled off a little bit. So he, but he was there and, you know, he, he was, he had a pleasant life. Um, but the reason I want to show you this and the other horse that we did during that filming is the completely different reaction of the horses to the pads um, and maybe not what you would think would be that reaction. So I'm gonna pull up Shiner here. And let me just make that big and I've dropped off the sound and I'll just kind of scroll forward so. Okay, so I have a I have some subtitles on this for, um, that I'm just developing, but you know, Mandy was saying, "Oh, he's fine, and we can use the pad while she's on, and you know, he'll be fine, and everything will be great." And so, what I wanted to do is not necessarily listen to the rider, but listen to the horse. And so, this is where the casually dropping the pad on the ground is. Um, you know, I do it on with casual conscious intention because this is what I wanna know. I wanna know how that horse is going to react to the sound of the pad hitting the ground, the image of the pad, the sense of it, the smell of it before I ever bend over to pick up his foot. And, and what you can see here is, and I'll just take this back, right? She's just, um, his, his head's up a little bit and he's got an ear back and then he's got both ears back. And there you can see I'm tossing the pad on the ground. And here, as soon as it hits the ground, you can see the ears laid back, the worry in the eye, the little bit of snortiness. And so if I see any of these indications, I always wanna work towards safety. And so what I said to her is we're, we're gonna take you off. Um, and so e even if I take her off and everything's like totally okay, um, you know, what have I lost? I've lost a couple of, a couple of minutes, right? Um, and in the, in the course of this process, taking the couple extra minutes to take the rider off and just make sure that everything's okay um, is worth it. And when I'm working with horses like this, I will often handle them myself because if I have a nervous, anxious horse and he's concerned about the pads and I have another person there and we're trying to do the little dance of who's holding the horse and where everybody is, there's a lot going on. So um, for me, and this may not be the case for, for everyone, but for me, I prefer to take the horse myself so that I'm not trying to worry about where other people are in relation to the horse and the pad and how his reaction is. And then, as you can see, I, I kicked it toward him and I'll just back that up. I mean, this is, 
uh, again, we see this uh, worry ear, worry eye and flared nostrils. And I will tell you, I mean, I have, I have four days of working with Shiner um, and I've gone through all four days of the video recently. Um, this little reaction that we see here, which is on a scale of one to 10 is probably like a one or two. Um, you know, I've seen horses literally bronk um, and I've seen horses that could absolutely care less, but he's showing me enough concern that I am gonna take the time to make sure that he's perfectly okay with me kicking this pad around. And so I do, I kick it around and I, I kick it away from him. And the reason I do that is that I kicked it toward him and I saw his reaction. I wanna take the anxiety away. I wanna kick it away from him and show him, hey, this is, you know, I'm not gonna pressure you. You've shown me, uh, in a very quiet way that this makes you concerned and let's alleviate that concern. Let's not escalate or make you have to be more concerned. And so I kick it away, right? And you can see that he looks away and then I'm not sure what, let me just see what happened there. Cause I'm, I'm not sure that that startle is, uh, I'll just let it play here. Oh yeah, I kicked it a little bit toward him and we can see that that same, Kind of, and he's great. You know, all he does is a little startle reaction. I'll just draw that back. Right there, he just shows us that little startle reaction. Well, let's see if I can get it here better. Sometimes scrubbing video, right? Um, and it's it's not huge, but it's enough, right? And then I kicked it way away, and you could see what we got is curious, right? And then I'll, I'll do this often. I'll jump on it. I put my nose on it, which is what most horses would do with objects is they put their nose on it. So I put my nose on it and then I offer it to him. But you'll notice that when I offer it, I don't let him touch it um, because you'll see horses like right there. You can see his little flary nostrils right there, right? As I'm touching it, he's flaring his nostrils, right? And then I offer it to him and I take it away. So I really am just trying to create a level of curiosity rather than anxiety. Um, and this is just so important to take that time. And there you can see he's taken his face well away from me, but his ears are a little bit sideways, right? And then this time I let him touch it, but you can see his flary nostrils, right? He's blowing a little bit. Let's see if I can do that again, right there. You can see that he's flared his nostrils a little bit, sniffing it, right? Ears are still a little concerned and I take it away, right? And then now I'm between Shiner and the pad. And, you know, watching and talking to Sharon Wilsey so much, the other thing that, that I just did unconsciously, but now knowing more about Sharon's work, I'm, I'm turned away from him. So my belly is not facing him. So my sense, my center of energy is not facing him, which would be a lot, of, lot for him to handle. So I turn my body, I'm between the horse and the pad. I'm protecting him from that pad. I'm not letting him um, scare himself. And I'm just giving him the time to think about it. And then you can see he's uh, more comfortable with me. And then the reaction is a little different there, right? And you can see I can bring him forward. Now, this is something that 
if the horse can't take that step forward, then I know that we're either in a freeze or uh, most likely a freeze. Um, and then I need to wait. It's not about dragging him forward. It's that if he can't take that step, his feet are really stuck to the ground. And these quieter guys, you know, they're subtle. So you can see how there he's coming forward. The ears are a little bit sideways, um, he, but he takes the step. I again, kind of position myself and then I come to the side and you'll notice that he starts to chew on the reins. And this is one of his anxiety patterns. So um, this is something that we noticed over the four days completely stopped, like completely. But here you can see the little bit of lippiness. He starts to try and grab the rein and then he puts his nose on the pad. And so, you know, how many times do you offer a pad to a horse? It's, it's so dependent on the horse. There are some horses they need to put their nose on every single pad. And there's other horses that do it once and they're done. And then there's horses that, um, you know, don't want to touch the pad and then suddenly freak out about the pad and then want to investigate it. So, you know, if you just get in the habit of kind of casually holding it out for them, um, and again, going back to Sharon Wilsey's work, she uses her knuckles for greeting and she does her blowing out. Um, and thinking about it, I've been using the pads as the greeting for years because um, I hold them out and some horses will investigate, some horses will touch it and some horses won't, but I'm making that offer for them to greet me uh, and the surefoot pad. And then here I've dropped it on the side and there's a tiny bit of worry, right? So I'll do that again. I'll just see if I can drag it, right? You can see there the ears, the eyes, the little body shift, and you can see it in his shoulder right there, right? And then I start to pick up his foot. And as you'll notice, I have the reins in my hand with my hand on my back so that I only have one hand near him. And the really interesting thing was that he, he couldn't pick up that foot. In other words, um, this will clear, there we go. Uh, what you'll see is he's actually pushing against the ground with that foot right there. And so you can see how this whole leg is braced and how he's pushed against the ground, which has shifted his body back. So of course he can't pick up that foot, but this is not uncommon um, to see horses um, bracing against the ground. It's kind of like you, you know, pushing against a wall with your hand. It's a similar kind of a reaction right there. And you can see how his whole body has moved backwards and he's pushing against the ground. So to try and get that foot off the ground at that moment is going to be extremely difficult because there's so much pressure against the ground. So I just wait and I ask again, and you could see he started to lift it there, but he couldn't lift it in a way that he could actually pick it up. So I'll just see if I can scrub that slowly forward. So I ask again, and he starts to bend the joints. I'll just play this because sometimes it's um, right there. He starts to bend the joints, right? But you look at how he's, he's kind of leaning over, you see the tilt in his head, and he's understanding what I'm asking, that I'm asking for his foot, but he can't really lift it. And again, this is where it's so many people get invested in getting the foot onto a pad. And it's so important to realize all of these subtle little nuances are really important pieces of information. 
So the idea that he pushed back from that left front, that he started to pick up the foot, but had to put it back down, that um, you know, he's not refusing to do what I ask. It's just hard. So what do I do? I just give him a break, right? And let him think about it for a second. Um, as opposed to, you know, continuing to ask and just reassure him. And then I take him for a walk. So, you know, at this moment, so many people ask me and they say to me, well, why didn't you try to get his foot on the pad? Well, that wasn't important. What was important was that he attempted to give me his foot, that he wasn't anxious anymore, that um, he wasn't blowing at the pad. And by walking him away, he gets a rest. He gets a break from this. He gets a chance to process it. He gets a chance to think about it. Nothing bad happened. You know, um, she, she didn't keep, you know, asking me to do something that I found difficult. And this is another one of his um, kind of uh, things that would happen is, is Shiner would freeze. And, you know, you start to walk him away and suddenly his feet would just get glued to the ground. So I just redirect a little bit. Right? And then he's able to come with me. So that's the couple of things that we kept noticing in the beginning was the chewing on the reins, the, the difficulty picking up feet, and that was not the hardest foot, um, and the freeziness. And yep, there's a little freeze again, and you just kind of get stuck. So I just wait for a second. It's kind of like, you know, just waiting for the reset button. And then um, you can see we got a little eye blink there, a little breathing change. Right, um, he's, he's cute. I go to pet him and he takes a big breath, right? I did a little bit of ear work um, and all the time I'm just talking to the people that are watching, but all of this time is giving him a chance to realize things aren't, aren't bad. They're not gonna be stressful. We're not gonna press him into it. Um, but again, why are we here? We're here because I didn't feel comfortable starting with the rider up on the horse and I, feel very validated in the fact that that little tiny sign I saw was uh, something to really listen to. And so here you can see he starts to come forward, right? And we got a little bit of a lick and chew, so his nervous system has calmed down a little bit. And then um, I believe I do this again. But just taking, this is a total of um, about four minutes, this, this piece of film. Um, and then he <laughs> goes to do a little scratch, kind of scares himself a little bit, but just taking the four minutes to just give him the chance to work this through on his own. And now you can see he's going to investigate as opposed to be worried. And we get a little lick and chew, right? And then I kick the pad toward him and he raises his neck, but nothing compared to before. Now here's the, here's one of the things that you can't see when you're picking up a foot. And this was something that I didn't see until I watched all this footage. So, you know, it's such a great reason to set up a video camera and just have it running while you're working. Because what I want you to see is what this horse has to do to lift that foot. All right. So here I've asked him and he starts to pick it up and watch what he has to do with his whole balance and his rib cage. He has to shift it way over to giving that foot. So I'll just play this in real time. 
Watch the rib cage in the saddle. You see how much his back comes way up and his rib cage comes way over just to lift his front foot. So that's so fascinating because you would think like uh, normal, what's normal, but you know, a more typical thing would be that he just can redistribute the weight on the other three feet and just easily lift the foot. But he has to make this really huge adjustment. So let's see if I can scrub this. Yeah, so he goes from here where the foot's on the ground to here, look at how much he's, you know, lifted his back, shifted his rib cage just to give me that foot. Um, in the Feldenkrais world, when we look at something like this, you look at what's called parasitic effort or all the unnecessary effort needed to do a movement. And in his case, there's so much excessive movement and weight shift for him to give me that foot. So that, that again is like a really big clue to some of the behaviors that we see. If that's what he has to do to just lift his left front foot, it's kind of amazing, right? So here I do it in slow motion, right? And watch his, his rib cage and his loin area, his back comes way up, his rib cage comes way over just to give me that foot. And obviously I can set it on the pad there and he checks in with me and, um, you can see that the ears are quiet, that he's not chomping on the reins, right? He's actually uh, has a nice breathing change there. I'll see if I can play that back for you. If you watch here in his, in his flank, just take it back a little bit. Just watch in this flank area there, you can see some breathing and then you see a deeper breath in there and then another really big breath as he lets the neck down. Right. So he has never met me before. And that's the other thing you need to know is this is the first time I've ever met Shiner or done anything with him. And then he so carefully sidesteps that pad. All right. So he goes from here and you watch that left front foot and he weight shifts and he leans forward and then he moves his right front foot. And then again, look at what he has to do to pick up his left front foot. He has to go from here and then he shifts his body and then he has to shift way over and he just takes that foot a little bit sideways off the pad. So then he walks forward, meaning that he couldn't step forward off the pad. He had to do this little sideways movement. And then of course he gets stuck again, that little bit of freeziness that we saw with him on a regular basis. And, and so these were the, you know, I mean, he's basically a very quiet horse, a, you know, very uh, interested, like he's, Robin's going to give him a drink of water here. Um, he's curious and interested, but we see these little subtle things with him going on, and they're all really, really important to pay attention to before you put a rider on a horse like this. So um, does anybody have any questions about that and the process that I went through? So if you have any questions, just pop it in the Q&A or in the chat. Um, you know, when I watch this footage, again, the thing that, that I found so interesting were the things that I couldn't see when I was picking up the foot, like the way he had to shift his body to give me that foot. And I would never have seen it if I hadn't watched the footage, the video. Okay, so since there's no comments, we're gonna go to the other horse that we did that week and this is Bob, and we've done many webinars on Bob. 
don't know if I can make this bigger. I don't think I can make it bigger. Um, but this is Bob. And so we were going to start with Bob under saddle. Okay. Let me see if I can just get rid of the sound. Hang on a sec. Um, Bob is a thoroughbred off the track. Very, oh, there is a question. Hang on, let me just check that out. Oh, you love this. Okay, great. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so Bob, third right off the track, I think he raced for eight years. When he came off the track, he flipped over and he broke his withers. And um, I should maybe just show you a little bit of Bob's before footage, uh, just to give you a, an idea of what, um, how he was moving. I have this on a, this is on Dropbox. So I, I thought I had it where I could access it on this computer other than Dropbox and I couldn't. So just have to bear with Dropbox. Yeah, and the fact that he, he survive a long time. Drop out the sound. So um, what I want you to notice here is how Bob moves his head and neck. And you can see how he moves his head and neck up and back, up and back, up and back, up and back to move his front foot forward. So every time he wants to advance his front foot, he has to bring his head and neck up and back to get that foot off the ground. Okay. And so this was Bob when we met him. Uh, very high headed, um, you know, short strided, tight back, really short in his front step, uh, front feet. Um, very worried about where his friends were. He was whinnying and he would twist his head. Let me just see if I can advance this a little bit. Uh, oh yeah, we can just watch this walk across the, the arena here. But just look at how much he has to pull his head up and back to take a step. And it's every step, right? And so you can imagine that, you know, for the rider, he's, his, you don't see his back drop appreciably, but you know that it has to be down when he's pulling his head and neck up and back like that so much. And that's how he's able to move his front feet. So that's his habit of movement. Um, and then let's see if I have some trot on here. Well, he did walk a couple of times. And just hopefully I won't make you nauseous scrubbing this. But so, I guess the point here is, is it wasn't just one time that he took a step this way. This was how he moved. This was his, oh yeah, here's our trot. This was his habit. And so here in the trot, you can see how high his head is. And um, I think she would typically ride him in a martingale, which I wouldn't blame her for doing um, just because the, she, the possibility of getting, you know, pitching forward and getting hit in the face with his head that high is certainly possible. Um, and you can just see there he twists his head and he would whinny and he would holler because the exit was where he just went past um, and he twists. And so this is Bob starting out. And one might think that this would be a horse that you would have to be really, really careful starting with Surefoot, just watching the way he's going, right? And here you can see his like, very short stride in front, would like to leave the arena. Um, he missed, he couldn't pick up his canter on the right lead. He finally did get it. Um, he could canter on his left lead, right? So that's where we started. 
So let me just stop that one and see if I can shrink this screen back down and then get back to the next slide. I'll just it'll take a second for Dropbox to get up to speed. So this is when we start working with Bob under saddle. So the whole idea is we're going to make just, an offer to your horse. Oops, sorry. Let me just drop the sound the out. There we go. So I'm just explaining to her what we're going to do. And Bob is busy looking away. And um, I'll get to that question. But I walk up and what's the first thing he does? So. So here's a horse, you know, he acts incredibly distracted. He travels with his head a million miles up in the air. And when I offer the pad, the first thing he does is he slams his nose on it and licks and pushes on it, actually. So this is such a different response and something that you wouldn't necessarily think that would happen. And then when I dropped it on the ground, the first thing he does is investigate. Right, we get some nice licking and chewing. When I kick it, he, he actually starts to walk forward. When I kick it toward him, he hollers um, right there. He whinnies um, and kind of checks in with me a little bit, but you can see that the, there's like no real concern about the pad. So I don't take the rider off. I just go ahead and lift his foot, he gives me his foot, I stick the pad underneath his foot um, because he's, he's so completely different than Shiner, which it's so hard to predict how a horse is gonna respond. You know, I get questions all the time, well, well, what should I do with my horse? Well, until I see your horse, it's really hard for me to say because like in this example, you know, Shiner, the first thing you, you tap the pad near him and he freaks out and Bob, you stick the pad under his foot and he's like standing still. And what you have to realize is one of the big problems that she had with this horse is he couldn't stand still. So where Shiner would get stuck, Bob had to keep moving, right? And we can see the little ears wiggle, right? And he's standing super quietly. So I just let him stand there. There's a little breathing change. I'm just talking about the, the tendons in the cheeks and you can kind of see these strong lines. You know, he looks around. The rider's doing a great job of just sitting really quietly and not interfering with him, right? He hears something, he looks at whatever that is. You know, you can see the breathing changes there. And then all of a sudden you see these super ding bite blinks. And then this pattern, which he exhibited quite often in movement, actually the head twisting, and then we got a nice lick and chew and I send her off for a walk. And you notice what he does is he steps backwards and then sideways, and then she just turns to go the other way. So, um, you know, it's such a different reaction than Shiner. And it's, it's so unpredictable. Um, you know, it's, I have to say that when I started with Surefoot, I had people advising me and they said, well, tell people that, you know, do the Arthur Murray School of Dance, like, okay, you start with number one and you do that for a week and then you go to number two and you do that for a week. And I just felt it was so wrong in my gut. And the reason I felt it was so wrong is exactly what I'm showing you today, that here are two horses and the approach that I took was 
completely different because the horses responded completely different. The one showed me, oh, that's really curious. I'm really interested. What are you doing? Sure, I'll stand on that. And the other's like, oh, I don't know. So it's really difficult to have a uh, paint by number system for Surefoot. And that's one of the reasons for all these webinars is to keep showing you lots of different examples of where you can use Surefoot, how you can use Surefoot, when to use it, what to do with, you know, this situation, this, because in the end, it's you and your horse. And that's what really matters. What is happening in front of you in that moment when you're working with your horse, not what somebody else did a week ago, or, you know, there was somebody that put up a video on the fans page, which got a huge number of comments and things where she just um, must have had her camera on, on um, uh, you know, it recorded rapid. So it was this rapid piece of short piece of film of her working with a horse in the aisle and the horse wouldn't stand and you'd move off and, you, you know, and she's like, I bought these really expensive pads and my horse won't stand on it. And, and we have to really look at, well, what is your intention there? What is it that you're expecting to happen? Or was it, is what's your, um, you know, expectation? Because if your expectation is that your horse is going to respond like somebody else's horse, you've already set your horse up for failure. Your horse is your horse. How he responds is how he responds as an individual. What we want to know is how does this individual respond? What does this individual do? Does this individual like a hard pad or a soft pad? If you only have one pair of pads, do you want it on one foot or another foot? You know, do you want to stand it for the rest of your life or do you have to move off? Because all of those little details are details that show up in your relationship and in your training. So if you have a horse that can't stand on the pad for two seconds and it's got to move off, he's out of balance. Whether that's that there's a pain factor, which there's no way I could know whether or not there's a pain factor, that would have to be investigated. But is there a pain factor? Is there an anxiety factor? Is there something going on? Or is it... Um, you know, Hancha Roll just sent me pictures. Uh, she's in Holland and amazing story. They went to work with this older pony who had been in a lot of pain and she did a session with him. And at the end of the session, he just laid down and took a gigantic nap, just flat out. And I looked at the pictures and I was like, oh my God, did you do too much? And the next day the owner is thrilled because this pony's able to walk in comfort. So it's so important to be there, to be present, to be paying attention. Um, so somebody has made a comment, says you often mentioned horses can become sore if they stand on pads too long when first starting. So do you have a recommendation to help with the soreness? Put them on a different pad, no pad for a duration of time, body work or something else. It's a great question, Melody. And, and this is again where, you know, um, there's such a range. So I, the horse that, that I think of the most when I think about this was a, a venter, um, a gray horse that I met on Martha's Vineyard. And we did a Surefoot demo the night before the, the riding workshop. We used him in the demo and maybe we did 20 minutes because I had a couple other horses. And then the next day she came for the riding and I did a little bit of Surefoot with her at the beginning before the riding lesson. And then of course we did work with the rider, but then the next day, she said when she went to groom him in the stifle area, which was the leg that was kind of the weak link, he was really grouchy. And so she realized that he was sore. And now 
Another story is uh, Leslie, who works for me, she uh, the listen to me was really did a very little a dressage horse in regular work, did very little in the beginning. And then the next time she got enthusiastic and she did more and she did diagonals. And then the next day her horse was grumpy. So she did too much and the horse was sore. And sometimes we don't know where the edge is. Um, I mean, sometimes we just don't know, this is gonna make you sore, this isn't. That's why with that pony, my biggest concern was, wow, um, did we overdo it? Because um, you can't undo overdoing, right? If you overcook the roast, it's overcooked. You can't take it back and make it less cooked. So it's why I always recommend less is more. You can always come back and do it again, but you can't undo it if you've made them sore. And if your horse is weak, if he's been out of work, if he's infirm, uh, but Leslie's horse was in regular work and she still made her sore because it's like starting a different exercise program. And, uh, you know, I have the Anywhere saddle chairs that I sent to my staff, Leslie being one of them. Um, and I said, you know, st start out on this in just a few minutes. And she said, wow, I only sat on the thing for five minutes and I was so sore because it was working all different muscles. Now, me, I sit on it, you know, for six hours a day at my desk, um, but I'm used to it. And so it's so hard to judge, uh, you know, an individual's level of fitness in certain ways. Like we can look at overall muscle development, um, but, you know, like Leslie's horse was sore just from that little bit. And it's just not an easy thing to predict. My basic rule of thumb is if you put a horse on pads and they are swaying like crazy, and this is like just in the beginning of the process, really cut the duration down, really make it short. Because if they're swaying a lot, that you can see that they're using a lot of, of muscle effort to just kind of buoy themselves up. But, um, you know, the horse in Costa Rica that I've used so often to show a horse swaying, he would do that for 10 minutes and be fine but he was used to pads and he loved them. And he would just get on there and he would just basically close his eyes and just, he'd sway so far over, you think he's gonna fall over and then he'd come back and then he'd go the other way. Um, and so it's, it's so important for you to really be with your horse during this process, not on your cell phone, use it for videos, use it for taking pictures, but not for chatting um, and, and really listen. And if you feel like it's too much, this is where Heidi Heidi uh, Blackman, her yoga webinar, which I just love. If it feels like too much, it is too much. If it feels like it's too much for your horse, it is too much. And how do you know that? Well, watching the breathing for one. You know, if you see that, um, it's not unusual actually. I, I don't. I, well, I haven't been doing much lately, but um, I've seen some horses with the breathing gets really panty, like really rapid, and you barely put their foot on a pad. What you know is it's having an influence. Um, what you can see is that it's caused a more rapid breathing. What you don't know is why is that happening? Um, the one horse that I can think of in particular, this was really early on with Dr. Stephen Peters, and I was working with his horses, whom he knew, um, and the one was a rescue horse and we started with her and literally in three seconds, we saw breathing changes, but she had this really rapid breathing. So, you know, we just took her off the pads and let her go for a walk. But um, 
you can see all these subtle changes. I think, uh, why does this capture my, my fascination? Because every horse is different. There's subtle differences sometimes, there's great differences other times, like these two horses, huge differences in their response and, and the approach. And so it's like being a detective and you're, you're, you're coming in with your magnifying glass and you're like, okay, what am I gonna notice here? What is this horse gonna show me? He can't stand on a pad. Okay, so either the, the he's really, really foot sensitive or uh, you know, there's something we've had a horse, uh, we've talked about him, Bucky, who in three days, we never had him stand on a pad, but uh, the owner learned a lot about how to approach him, very much like what I did with Shiner, which was to uh, put the pad between, put him behind me and the pad in front of me. So I was always protecting him and how to get him on being curious instead of fearful. And I just think this is um, really, really important. Um, so Dorothy is saying, my younger horse did something interesting a couple of days ago while he was on the firm slants under his hind feet. He walked his front feet, <laughs> he walked his front feet around to the left about 45 degrees, leaving the hinds where they were and stood in a particular twist for several seconds. Then he walked his fronts around to the right a little bit, still leaving the hind on the pad, and then stood there for a minute or so before he walked off. Wow, that is, did, I hope you got that on film. If you got that on film, please send that to me. That would be so cool um, and because that's so intentional. Um, that's so intentional. Oh, not on film, too bad. Uh, you know, we never have our camera when we really uh, see. I think they know. Oh, good. They're, they don't have their camera. I'm going to do something really interesting. I can't tell you how many times that's happened. But when I read something like that, what that tells me is this horse is doing that on purpose. And he is intentionally using the pad to set himself up to unwind something. Um, and I've seen a number of horses where they'll be, they'll have a foot on a pad and they'll move their whole body around to either look at something or do something without lifting their foot. But in his case, where he walked around for 45 degrees and then stood there in a twist for some seconds and then around the other way, to me, that's kind of like fascial unwinding, you know, that he's feeling that and he's putting himself in a position to help unwind that. And then he reverses it and he goes the other way, which is so cool. And this is where, you know, when, when we give them an opportunity to work something out, they will, they will. It's, it's really, really interesting. Um, you know, I think I can, I just realized I have a bunch of little video clips. Um, this is this, let's see if I can pull this one up. Oh yeah, this is, uh, this is just a clip where, um, I'll share my screen. Just, I was just using this clip here. I'll drop the sound out and I'll let it play, but just some of the things that, that can be observed, right? So he's in a round pen he could get off anytime he wants. This is the horse that really sways a lot when he's on pads. And you can see there, we've got the eye blinks, the little head twitches, the swaying, right? And a really big sway. And um, 
And what I'm going to do in this clip is I've zeroed in on different parts of the body to help people um, just kind of get, have some guideposts as to where to look when a horse is standing on a pad. Um, you know, if you're not trained to observe, uh, people watching this might think, well, you, you know, the horse is just standing there. So what's the big deal? Um, but it's when we get trained to see the subtle nuances that we start to realize what a big deal this is. And so I'll just let this run. It's, it's, um, it'll, the video itself will start doing close-ups of different areas. Um, but we can see that, you know, he's happy to stand here. And so here we're just going to look at, you know, there's uh, the masseter muscles. We saw him chew, right? We saw muzzles. We see a little head flip, little nose toss, right? Deep eye blinks and a sway. Here he sways back. Here's that little head wiggle, right? Forgotten what this one is. Oh, really big sway. And look at this muscle activation of the stifle. So um, just recently, there's, um, if you have never heard of the Horse Magazine, um, they put out an a e-newsletter that I get. And the, um, last week's e-newsletter came out with um, a study about improving multifidus. Multifidus is one of the major muscles in the back. In humans, they've determined that when you have atrophy of multifidus, you can wind up with back pain because what multifidus does is it helps stabilize the vertebrae and keep the dorsal processes spread out. So if it atrophies, then you're gonna to start to get some rubbing, you can get some kissing spine, that sort of thing. And one of the things that they used uh, was stability pads. And this was at Colorado State. And I know Dr. Melissa King has been a huge fan of Surefoot for years now. In fact, I, I think she adopted early on. So maybe it's been five years at CSU now because we're celebrating our five-year anniversary. Um, and, I, and I just, uh, got an order from CSU because they're going to do another study. So I asked for a copy of the article. Um, but yes, they had used surefoot pads in that study. So balance pads are, are a great way to help improve muscle tone, as you can see in that stifle when you saw that major muscle contraction there. So here we see the head lowering, the eye blinking, the deep eye blinking with the little head twitches. And these are not uncommon to see those little head twitches and there's a little tail twitch. You'll watch the shoulder as he shifts his weight and the pec muscles, right? This is the shoulder here. You see a big contraction in the shoulder, right? Cause he swayed over and then he had to come back. And then here I think is where he's gonna turn his head. Now, the thing that's so interesting about the head turning is you've got a 40 pound head at the end of a three foot lever arm, the neck, which is like a flexible tube and his weight is distributed on his four feet. So as you think about a crane swinging a 40 pound weight, the question is, can he remain square or does he have to brace a leg out to counter the swing of the head? And in his particular case, we can see he swings his head over and here you can watch his sternal line, right? Which is, gives us an indication about his rib cage, right? And now he's gonna swing his head the other way and again, you can see how straight that sternal line stays. Yes, you can see how the pec muscles contract here and that we have this line, but the sternum itself remains quite vertical as he moves that head around. And so th that's something that I pay a lot of attention to is 
uh, the sternal line to see has he rotated the rib cage or is it upright? Did the shoulder slide in relation to the ribs or is the shoulder kind of stuck and so he rotates everything over? All right, so this is just in, in real time again. You can see the body sway, the little head toss, the nose toss, the weight shifts, the head wiggle, the head organized over the left front there, the sway, the stifle contraction. Yep, the neck lowering. Right, little quiet moment there, eye blink, eyes closed, head twiggle. I don't know what to call it other than a wiggle. Then we're gonna see the shoulder contraction as he sways over and comes back, right? And then he's gonna turn his head to look at his fellow and then swing his head back the other way. So this is all happened in, uh, let's see, where did, where did that start when we replayed this? Fifty-six. So this is in a minute. This is all happening in a minute of standing on the pads, right? So um, going back to Melody's question, you know, when you see when you slow it down and you break it down and you look and see just how much happened in a minute, then you can see where wow, if if a horse has a weakness, a muscle weakness because of a habit pattern. Um, you could easily make them sore because they're having to stabilize. But again, that's one of the values of Surefoot is, uh, oh, slants under the front foot, change the angle, just like under the back foot. So the question is, uh, were there a, a specific reason for the slants in front? Yeah, it just to change an angle. So uh, especially if I see horses with a bit of a long toe, by I basically am raising their heels um, and taking some tension off the, the Okay, so I can't say that I'm specifically alleviating the deep digital flexor tendon. Can't say that because we haven't done any studies about that. But you think about, you know, putting them on a slant, bringing the heel up, it's going to bring the foot back a little bit, uh, make some change in the angles. The question that we also haven't really answered scientifically is, you know, does it make a change in the angles? And we've needed to measure angles before we put them on slants and after. Um, that hasn't been done yet, be a great study. Um, so uh, any, any recommendation for horses with long pasterns? Um, you know, I'd do the same thing. I'd give it a shot and see what happens if you use the slant pads. And, you know, in some cases, people are using slant pads heel low to lengthen the back of the leg. And in other cases, I like to use them heel high. You can also use them in pronation and supination standing them so that instead of the pads being, you know, this way, you can put them this way so that you can angle the, the foot into supination or angle the foot into pronation, depending on the way the horse is going. Um, so, you know, I mean, again, I, I love slants. Uh, what I know about slants is that when we put people on the slants and most riders wanna stand on the slants heel low to stretch their calf muscles. Um, but what it does is it puts all the joints into extension. So it puts, well, not all of them. Um, it does put the ankle and the knee. Yeah, it puts you into extension. So it straightens the joints, right? And when the foot comes up, that's extension. So when you stand on them heel high and have people soften their knees just a little bit, what most people feel is that their lower back lets go 
their lower back softens. Um, and I can't say that that happens for horses because I don't know, but I can guess that they might feel a similar kind of comfort. So, um, and under the front feet, again, if they're a really long toe, low heel, I really like to just give them a different feeling. And, and of course, if they don't like it, they're gonna step off, right? So um, I know some people are kind of leery of slants. We have a great webinar with Dr. Um, uh, Raquel Butler. No, sorry. Uh, Rachel Bellini, their names are too close together for me. Um, Dr. Rachel Bellini, uh, she's from Colorado. She's done a, a whole webinar on hard slants. Um, it was early on, so you can check that one out. Um, yeah, exactly. And that's kind of my thought, Dorothy. She says, I can imagine that they feel really nice if a horse is a flatter negative palmer plantar angle. And that's my thinking as well. Um, you know, I, it'd be really nice to ask them what they specifically feel. Uh, we're not quite there yet, uh, but you can see by that facial expression, that softening, the ear softening, the eyes, everything, that they're, they're definitely feeling comfort. Um, yeah, and like that pony who is moving so much better today. It's, I have to say that it's so rewarding to hear about all of the great things that are happening. And one of the things, in case you're not aware, we have a, I have a contest going on on Facebook I mean, it's because of our five-year anniversary, we've been running a contest for five weeks, each week giving away a pair of Surefoot pads. Um, this week, it's tell us one thing you've learned from the Surefoot webinars with Wendy um, and just post something, even from this webinar counts. Um, but it's been so great to read all these comments that people have left us about how Surefoot's helping their horses and what they've learned and uh, about giving horses a voice. Um, and it's it's just great. It's um, it warms my heart. And so that said, just remember that we have the contest. Um, this is week five and you need to have entered all five weeks to be eligible for week six, where we give away a full set of Surefoot pads value over a thousand dollars. So we have a list of everybody who's entered and which weeks they've entered. And what we're going to do, we're, gonna have, we're still working out the logistics, how we're going to do this. But uh, come Sunday, you'll be able to check to see if you've entered all the weeks. And if not, go back to the, to the posts and answer those queries that are on those previous weeks so that you're eligible for the grand prize. Um, and that's, you know, giving a horse a voice. I, I think that that, maybe that'll be the name of the book. Uh, I'm working on a book for Surefoot. Been working on that for quite a while, probably over five years now. Um, but maybe that's what it needs to be in the title. So it's great. All right. So does anybody have any questions about, you know, uh, either things to notice or, you know, if you're going to work with a horse under saddle, what you need to pay attention to, you know, the, the, one of the things you have to remember when you're the ground person putting pads underneath the horse's feet under saddle is that the rider doesn't kick you in the head. <laughs> especially when you're working on the front feet. If they're a really long-legged rider and the horse is kind of short, um, that hopefully they will kindly move their foot back so that they don't kick you. Uh, yeah, it is part of my mission statement. All right, well, that brings us to the end of another webinar with Wendy. Tomorrow we have Alicia Hargrove, Harlove, sorry, Alicia Harlove from Humble Hoof. Uh, we're gonna talk about transitioning from shod to barefoot. Um, that'll be at one o'clock. We moved the webinar, my Friday webinar to today so that she could have tomorrow. 
Um, it'll be a great webinar and we'll announce the winner of week five. So make sure you enter. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining me again today. I'll see you next time. Take care. Bye.